Well, I'd like to turn you to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 and 21, to this wonderful benediction and affirmation of the book of Hebrews. The writer has touched on many topics through the book of Hebrews, this rich and complex letter with imagery of the Old Testament sacrificial system and priesthood. But I want to focus on the final verses before the final greeting at the end of chapter 13, which is known as a doxology or benediction. Today, I want us to come away encouraged by these truths, our faith strengthened and our hearts satisfied in him and filled with joy, joy in our heart forever. To see how the gospel changes everything and how we can face tomorrow equipped by him, living by faith and to please him and to glorify him. So let's read the bless, this blessing from the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And if you can follow in your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen as well. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that powerful on its own? I could just sit down right now and that's enough, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> So, a close friend of mine recently walked the length of New Zealand in four months. The Te Araroa Trail is around 3,000 kilometres through rough terrains, through rivers and over mountain ridges. It's not for the faint-hearted. He spent months training for, through long walks and mountain hikes and learning survival skills. You can imagine two ways people would be prepared for this kind of trail. They could be very well prepared with all the right equipment, safety equipment, um, water rationing, food, or they could be really underprepared. They could turn up in just t-shirt, shorts, and sandals, and a little rucksack. That would be pretty foolish. Turning up to this trek like this would just be foolish. Thankfully, my friend didn't do this. He researched the trail in great detail, planned out a time frame, bought the necessary safety and comfort equipment, enlisted the help of a personal trainer to get him trek ready, and devised a meal plan with water rationing. Now, he still found it the toughest thing that he's ever done, but yet rewarding. But you can imagine what would have happened if he'd have been underprepared. He probably wouldn't have finished and probably would have been injured in the process. But wouldn't it be amazing if instead of, if instead of just being prepared, that you had a friend who'd walk the trail before you. They'd gone on ahead and placed snacks all along the way <laughs> at the points where you know it's going to be tough. They maybe left uh, an energy bar, an electrolyte tablet that helps you, um, rehydration tablet that helps you re refresh your electrolytes, cool, fresh, crisp water in a water bottle. That would be nice. And new hiking shoes and clothing. it would make the walk so much more bearable. Imagine now that he has promised to provide everything you need for that walk. So 
So you need something. There's an airdrop of like a snack or a bottle of water, which you, when you really need it. Wouldn't that be amazing? You can sign me right up now. I'd do that right now. <laughs> the life of a Christian is very much like an arduous walk, with perils and danger around every turn, with the uphill struggle of prayer and studying the scriptures, or the narrow winding path of being shunned for Jesus' sake, or the rocky terrain of battling sin, or through the deep waters of trials. But knowing that we have the Lord with us at all times, helping us across the ravines, across the fast-flowing river, dropping snacks and water supplies when you need them to refresh your soul, having new shoes like feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that encourages our hearts. The equipment list could go on. He will supply all your needs. Whatever you need, he will supply it. If you're feeling weary, he will supply strength for your weak knees. If you're struggling to find peace, he will supply peace that passes all understanding and guards your heart and your mind. If you're feeling your faith is weak, he will supply faith that can move mountains. If you need wisdom, he will supply wisdom to all liberally and without reproach. Whatever you need for the walk of life, in order to please the Lord, he will supply it for you. So with this in mind, we're going to look at how we can be equipped to endure and to do the Lord's will, like someone on an epic hike. Dear believer, if you're facing some trial or you're just finding the hike of life um, a struggle, these verses are for you. If you're doubting God's goodness and care for you because of your circumstances, these verses are for you. Indeed, these verses have been for me. This week, I found them powerfully touched my heart. In fact, in the last few weeks, I've been praying this for a while. It's really powerfully touched my heart. And the truth that, that touched my heart is this. We can be confident that God will fulfill his promise to equip us with everything good that we may do his will. This is the main point the writer of the Hebrews is trying to make in this prayer of divine blessing <clears throat> upon his readers. And I believe this same blessing can be applied to us today and throughout the gospel age until Jesus returns. When he returns, our faith will be turned to sight. Our hearts filled, we will be raised incorruptible, and we will need, have no need of equipping for the race. For he'll make us perfect, and we will fully enter into his joy. I'm looking forward to that day. That is a, such a precious day. But until then, God has promised to equip us for everything we need. So let's look at some reasons from the passage why we can be confident that God will fulfill his promise to equip us with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Firstly, because God raised Jesus from the dead, we have peace with God. Verse 20 starts off with, Now may the God of peace, the God of peace is on your side. To its original readers, that was a very loaded statement. They come from religion where they could only hope to have peace with God if their sins had been atoned for 
or that they lived a sinless, perfect life. Can you see the problem here? We are sinful by nature. We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, as it says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. Or in Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think all of us would agree that we're, there are many things in our hearts that are far from perfect. In fact, our hearts are dead in trespasses and sins before the Lord takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, as it says in Ezekiel. And through the old sacrificial system, if you were to sacrifice for every sin committed, you'd be permanently in the temple and up to your neck in sacrifices. But as the reader of, the, reader of Hebrews would have understood, they should be looking to a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, God's own son. See, even before the covenant of obedience with Adam, indeed before the earth was even created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made a covenant known as the covenant of redemption. That God the Father would set his love upon his people. That Jesus would go to the cross to take the punishment we deserved. And the Spirit would apply these things to our hearts and illuminate these things that we could see the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross and took the wrath we deserved. The sin that separates you from God and prevents you from having a perfect relationship with him, um, fell upon him. He's dealt with it once and for all upon the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered upon the cross, to, sorry, Jesus suffered on the cross bearing your sin upon himself. He hung there for you. He cried, it is finished for you and sealed your salvation. And he was buried in a tomb, but the grave could not hold him. Praise God. He rose from the grave, defeating death and opening a way for sinners to be made right with God. John Calvin wrote many years ago, God raised up his son in such a way that his blood once shed in death has the power to ratify, which is a legal term for making official, the eternal covenant after his resurrection and bringing forth its fruits as though it were ever flowing or always flowing. I love that. The fruits of Jesus' death and resurrection are always flowing. Flowing grace that reaches you in your sin and has power to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when, you're, when I am tempted to give up because the hike is just too hard, or I feel thirsty and weary, Jesus', is, Jesus love is ever flowing. He says, come to me and drink. I have living water. Come to me and drink. I have living water. He who drinks... Of the water I shall give him shall never thirst again. Are you thirsty? I am. There's another airdrop of supplies. That's the living water being dropped in front of you. Or maybe you're feeling worn down by the difficulty of the hike. Your shoes have holes in, your clothing is threadbare. 
there's another airdrop of surprise. A reminder that you're covered in Christ's robes of righteousness and your feet are shod with, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that death and sin are conquered. The curse in Adam and Eve meant that all die. A statistic for you is one out of one people die. <laughs> Go figure. So in Adam, all die as a result of sin and the curse from disobeying God. But thank the Lord for the last Adam, as he's referred to in 1 Corinthians 15.45. Says, thus, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So all people are born under the first Adam and are dead in their trespasses and sins. But when we trust in God, he makes us alive in Christ. Just as Jesus was raised to life, we are brought from spiritual death to life. So since God raised Jesus from the dead, that means the salvation is all of his work. And because sin is conquered, we can know that our sin will not get in the way of God fulfilling his promises to us because he has dealt with our sins. It is like someone clearing all your debts. Your financial debt is cleared. You'd be pretty happy about that. But you wouldn't go around collecting all the money you could find in every, under the drawers and in the teapots and wherever you keep them to try and pay that debt back because the debt is paid. Jesus died and rose again, proving that sin and death are defeated so that we can become the undeserving recipients of that promise, that he will equip us with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us. So brothers and sisters in trials, going through the valley of hardship or the river of trials, you have peace with God. You're not alone. The relationship that you were made for has been restored. God has set his seal upon you, the seal of the Holy Spirit, which could only be possible because of Jesus, and Jesus brought us peace with God. He dwells within you, and we are his temples. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Fear not, I am with you. So, because we have peace with God, um, so sorry, because we have peace with God, because Jesus was raised from the dead, He will equip you with everything. When you pass through the waters and even through the fires, He will be with you. Secondly, we can be confident that God will fulfill his promises to us because of the blood of the covenant is eternal. It's all because of the blood of the eternal covenant in the end of verse 20. Because we're trusting in Christ, we are ransomed, and we will be brought home to glory once we finish this pilgrimage. But not only that, aside from being forgiven, God has promised to equip us with everything we need for the journey. But it doesn't end there. God has promised to provide everything, not only on this earth, but all the way to heaven. The covenant is unending and unbreakable. Because God is passionately committed to his covenant, we know that his promises are eternal. 
and he will never stop equipping me and working in me that which is pleasing in his sight. Notice how none of this is dependent on us being good enough. If you think you're good enough, you don't qualify. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, the one who brings peace with Almighty God, the one who purchased believers by the blood of the eternal covenant, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, and the one who is the great shepherd of the sheep, today is a day of salvation. Jesus himself calls us to repent and believe. Don't resist him and please don't harden your heart. You need only turn from your sins and ask him for forgiveness and put your trust in and hope in him alone. The words of Peter in Acts 4 verse 12 still ring true today. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you know this Lord and Saviour? Believing brother and sister, God has given you everything you need to start this walk before you. He will continue to equip you. As the middle of verse 21 says, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This conjures up the image of a master craftsman, maybe a woodcarver like Tim Hogan. They start with a rough piece of a tree trunk, chip away at the bark, um, and then to expose the wood underneath. They then observe the wood and then look for the natural grooves, remove any imperfections, and then smooth it with a, um, to smooth it by sanding it down until they have what they want, the handicraft that they're creating. During this process, it may look messy, may even look downright ugly, but he knows what he's doing. And the same with God. We are his workmanship. He's working on us. Praise God, he continues to work on us. So I can think of three questions that arise from this passage, maybe objections or questions that may arise. First one, how can God do all this for us? He's in heaven and Jesus' work on the cross was 2,000 years ago. Isn't God far away from us? Well, the imagery used in verse 20 is quite the opposite. It's of the great shepherd of the sheep, which immediately conjures up the image of a man in a long robe carrying a, carrying a lamb on his shoulders, not a king born in a palace with servants, gold, pomp, and ceremony, but a simple man keeping watch over his flocks. Not a distant God, but someone who is near and tender-hearted and at hand when we are in need. So how can you do this for us? By being our great shepherd of the sheep, as it says in verse 20. For about seven years, I lived in Wales in the UK. And any who've been there will know that it's covered with sheep. There are millions of them. I think they're probably more sheep than people, actually. As you drive around the valleys, and the rural areas, you see vibrant green fields covered and dotted with white and sometimes black sheep and uh, watching over their lambs in the spring. And one thing you learn about sheep being surrounded by them that is that they are two things. They're quite willful and they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. They constantly get themselves into dangerous situations, escaping their enclosed areas through their lack of common sense. 
um, and foolhardiness. They wander up the roads, fall into rivers, they fall into crevices and ravines. See, sheep need a shepherd. Someone to keep them out of danger. Are you feeling a bit sheep-like? Because I know I am. I know I am. So how, how often I need the Lord to keep me out of danger, to lead me to water, to keep me out of the ravines and crevices. We're often stubborn, willful, and downright stupid. We need a shepherd, but this shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Tyler alluded to it earlier with Jesus being the great shepherd of the... No, sorry. Tom alluded to it earlier being Jesus being the shepherd of the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's John 10, 14 and 15. So the Lord leads us like a shepherd to green pasture and beside still water. I just love that image. It's so powerful. So an example where I experienced the Lord shepherding in my life was during my time at university. I went through a particularly low patch. I just quit my degree after a year. I had no job, no money, and no purpose. Um, I felt I lacked direction, and I felt God was far from me. I felt like God may have forgotten about me. And to add to that, Satan was throwing fiery darts at me and saying things like, God has forgotten about you. He doesn't care about you. You're not good enough for him anyway. And stupidly, like the sheep that I am, I listened to him. And I started to spiral downwards and took to my room and had feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness. Then one day I cried out to the Lord for help, and he answered in the form of a friend. He came to the door and said, we're going to the Bible study, you're coming with me. So we went to the Bible study at church. I quietly prayed in my heart in the way, Lord, please speak to me. Assure me of your love for me. Well, I turned up, and the speaker was speaking on Ezra. And I was like, great. (laughs) How am I going to hear about God's love for me in Ezra? But it was good. I don't remember the details of it, but the way the Lord spoke to me was actually on the way back in the car journey with my friend Dovin. My friend Dovin shared with me two Bible verses that really touched my heart and pulled me out of this miry pit. First is Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, which says in the New King James Version, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Airdrop. And the second was a passage I shared the other week from Psalm 107 about the Lord calming the storm. In verses 28 to 30, uh, Psalm 107, it says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Both these passages spoke powerfully to my heart, hearing the words of my shepherd to trust in his faithfulness and call call out to him to quieten the storm. Right there, airdrops. He then poured out his peace upon me and helped me to trust in his faithfulness for the future. I'm reminded of the verses in Romans 8.28 that say, 
And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What words of encouragement and sweet consolation. He is working all things together for good. So while the Lord is sovereign and working everything for our good and his glory, we do have some responsibility in this. The second question raised is, what is our responsibility? So secondly, to draw near to his throne of grace. You may be here today thinking of God as a removed, distant deity who wants little or nothing to do with his creation. Maybe you think he's too busy to be bothered with our seemingly little problems. But Hebrews 4 gives us a clue about what the response should be. The writer of Hebrews calls us to draw near to the throne of grace. So let's turn to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. If you have your Bibles with you, and it'll be on the screen otherwise. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord will supply all your needs. You need only come to him in prayer. And since the way is open because of the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus being raised from the dead and peace with God, you can come confidently and boldly to him. The very throne room of God. So why is it so easy to neglect our prayer life? The the third question this might raise, this passage might raise, is that what if my heart doesn't want to seek his will? We've all had times when we feel far away from the Lord or spiritually cold. And quite frankly, it just seems too much effort to come to the throne of grace and to follow your shepherd. But the words of Hebrews 11, 24 to 26 shed some light on this. If you could turn to that passage, Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. In this passage, Moses uh, talks about men and women of faith. Um, the writer talks about Moses in this passage. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what if my heart doesn't want to seek his will or to do his will? Look to the reward. What strengthened Moses to reject the fleeting pleasures of sin? It was faith. Looking to the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, and to the reward. We often sing, Christ is my reward. And Moses shows that he saw that. The verses show that Moses saw that. Why then is it so hard for us to see sometimes? And so easy to give into sin and temptation because we don't see Jesus as our all-satisfying treasure. The reward which is Christ and a restored relationship with him. So we've seen that God has promised to equip us to do his will and that which is pleasing in his sight because we have peace with God, because he raised Jesus from the dead, and because of the blood of the eternal covenant. So who gets all the glory for this? Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is glorified. We cannot do this ourselves. We cannot hope to be good enough for God. All we bring to the table is our sin and our weakness. But praise God, he died for us and bore our sin and wrath that we deserve, the wrath we deserved. There's an old hymn, um, a well-known hymn that I like, that says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. The chorus of that hymn is, It is well with my soul. But when you look at the writer's background, you can see how the Lord met him and equipped him to deal with tragedy in his life. Horatio Gates Spafford wrote to him, wrote the hymn When Peace Like a River in 1873, shortly after he dis- discovered some tragic news. The family had planned to travel from the US to, U- to, to England for a holiday, but due to a delay in his work, he sent his family on ahead. He sent his wife Anna and his four children on ahead. During the voyage, the boat got into difficulty and sank. And his wife only just survived, but all his four girls died. When his wife arrived in England, she sent a message to him saying, um, all is lost and I alone remain. It was shortly after that that he penned the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, You've taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's equipping. Horatio was equipped by God to face that tragedy. It is through the trials that God produces strong faith in Jesus. And he is glorified all the more. Jesus purchased all the faith, hope, love, patience, perseverance, joy, and everything else we need at great great cost to himself. He longs to pour out these gifts um, upon us freely from a gracious heart. We we need only call out to him. And in all this, he receives all the glory. Not just now in this moment, but he will receive glory forever and ever. Amen. The redeemed of God will sing praise to him eternally in heaven, singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Revelation 5, verse 12. So what's the Lord calling us to do? He's calling us to not give up. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. The road might seem tough. You may be weary, but God is ready and willing to do an airdrop of grace. He has promised here to equip you. Secondly, don't try to be self-reliant. He's done it all. It is so easy to be self-reliant. In fact, I think it's our default setting. To do everything in our own strength, to scramble and claw our way up the hills. But he has promised to help you in that. To help you up the hill. And supply all your needs. Thirdly, do seek him in prayer. Let's come before the throne of grace and find help in time of need daily. Jesus is ready and willing to help. When my heart isn't feeling it, and we're, and that, sorry, 
when my heart isn't feeling it, that is when we persevere in prayer, saying, Lord, my heart feels far from you. But your word says, I am to come to you. And you delight to hear the prayers of your children. And you have promised to equip me with everything I need to do your will. Help me, Lord. And fourthly, do seek, the, seek God and his word. Feed on his promises. I found it such a precious blessing to be here in Grace Church feeding, uh, feeding on promises in the home groups and, uh, and just in my own life, having promises to hand for every area of life. Spend time daily in his word and love his word. This is the very word of God for us. So as the worship team come up, I'm going to pray if you bow your heads and we'll pray. Our Lord God and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have promised to equip us with everything we need to run the race of life, to walk the walk. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you that you are working in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus laid down his life for us. We pray that we would glorify your name, Lord, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and that we would always seek to glorify your name. Father, we thank you for this promise to equip us. We pray that we would look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.